Good to see you. This morning, we're back in the book of John. We're going to be in the book of John for a while. Um, we are, uh, started it uh, on Easter weekend, and we are going to be in John uh, really right through the summer, and I'm excited to walk through this book with you, kind of passage by passage this morning. And this morning, we're be, uh, back in John chapter 1, and uh, you're welcome to turn there if you... If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, in a chair in front of you or behind you. Just kind of grab one there. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, the Bible and the way it's arranged, the book of John is kind of uh, about two-thirds of the way through, but you can look in the table of contents there and find it, uh, John chapter 1. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever put an or where there should be an and? You ever put an or where there should be an and, right? Uh, you ever had someone ask you, do you want cake or ice cream? <laughs> like for me, there shouldn't be an or there. It's, it's cake and ice cream is, is what I'll have there. Um, sometimes we put ors where there should be ands. You ever try and build something with a hammer or a nail? Right? You need an and, or try and take your friends for a uh, ride through the park uh, in a horse or carriage. You need both of them together. Sometimes we put an or where there needs to be an and. Um, sometimes we put an or where there needs to be an and. Pastor Andy Stanley, he, uh, he words it this way. He says, in life, there are problems to be solved and there are tensions that need to be managed. And a problem to be solved is where you can put an or. We're going to do this or that. We've got a problem. We can do one or the other. It's a problem. We need to solve it. But then there are some things that are tensions to be managed. We're going to do this and this. And we're going to find a way to do both. So you want to do well at home and you want to do well at work. It's not a problem to be solved. It's not either or. It's in both and. And a lot of times in life, there are things that are both ands that if we're not careful, we make them either ors. And uh, we come to one of those things this morning in the Bible in John chapter 1 that I think is a both and and sometimes especially as Jesus followers and as Christians, if we're not careful, we make it an either or. But it really needs to be a both and. Look at John chapter one with me. I'm gonna read verses 14 through 18. And it says this. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the passage we looked at last week if you were with us. So let me answer the question that is in many of your minds right now. Yes, I did also set up a tent in Belmont last week. <laughs> like Pastor Brian did here in Burlington. No, I probably didn't do it as well as him, um, but it did get set up, and hopefully you not only remember the tent, but the reason we set up the tent, which is to remember that Jesus came and dwelt among us, that he set up his tent among us. All right, back to the Bible. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as of the Son, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace or truth. No, right? Uh, let's go back and say that with me. Full of grace and truth. and truth. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Sometimes we have to be careful. We end up putting an or where God puts an and. As we said last week, Jesus, John is saying in here, Jesus is God. And when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And so what does Jesus show us about God? He shows us that God is full of grace and truth, both of them. What we have to be careful about at times is when we put an or where God put an and. Sometimes churches do this. Sometimes there are churches that you come to and they are churches that are maybe heavy on the truth side of the equation that we would say. And a church that maybe is heavy on the truth side and doesn't pay much attention to the grace side, I'll call them, uh, in fact, uh, this is uh, part of what Pastor Andy Stanley says in his book, Deep and Wide, call them churches for church people. They're churches for church people, and maybe you've been to them, maybe you've seen one, maybe you've been a part of one, maybe you feel like you're in one now, I hope not, but sometimes churches for church people in this way, that we know, we, have our, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we know what's black, white, we have a list of rights and wrongs, and either you're doing them, you're meeting them, or you're not meeting them, and if you meet them, you're in, and if you don't meet them, you're out, and if you're out, you just need to meet them and do these things so you can get in. And they're churches for church people. And the reason I think sometimes churches fall in that direction is because it's clean and neat, and it's not messy. We know what the rules are, we know who's in, we know who's out, and we just, these are, this is the list, and it makes it nice and clean and neat. But there's always a casualty when we put an or where God has put an and. And in these churches, the casualty is actually the gospel. The casualty is the good news of grace that is available in Jesus Christ. We talk as if that if you know this truth and meet this truth that somehow you can be in and uh, make your own way and uh, God will have to accept you and love you. But we've sacrificed grace. On the other side, there's, let's say, as opposed to churches just for church people, sometimes on the other extreme, we get churches for everyone. You say, all churches are for everyone. Well, churches for everyone. I mean, churches is for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. It's for everyone. And whatever you bring with you, whatever you believe, we can affirm that and welcome that. And we can believe that too. We don't have a lot of things that we believe. It's for everyone's welcome. Whatever you bring to the table, we'll just embrace that. Because we're heavy on the grace and we really don't pay much attention to the truth. And, and so we're a church that doesn't have a lot that we believe. We'll just affirm everything and, and be open to everything that everyone else has. I was uh, 
talking to uh, someone one time that maybe would give you an idea of, of what I mean by this. I was having a conversation with someone who leads a church that would be uh, kind of in this category. And he, and he described it this way. This way, his words, not mine. He said, when I go to a, uh, I go to a nursing home sometimes, a long-term care facility, he said, and they have a closet there. And the closet's purpose is that for uh, each of the clergy groups that come, they can store their, their things that they would use for a service there so that they don't have to bring them with them every time. And everyone gets a shelf. And he says, if you look in that closet, you know, on one shelf, you'll see the, the Jewish uh, group that comes. And they'll have some, uh, some passages from the Torah, and they'll have a menorah and some other things there that you would expect. And then they'll have a Hindu shelf, and they'll have the Vedas there, and some things that would be important for, for that faith. And then they'll have the, the Mormon shelf, and the Book of Jesus of Latter-day Saints is there. And, and then they'll have a Christian shelf, and then on there they'll have the Bible, and a cross, and maybe a communion tray. And then he says, and then they have my shelf. For, for my group, and on my shelf, they have a coffee maker. And that's the only thing they have, is the coffee maker. And the idea is, you know, there, there's, you know the, the, the idea that, hey, we're just here, we're going to have coffee together, just come just as you are and leave just as you are. It's fine, no problem. And, and so the problem, though, when, we, when we're on the side of all grace and no truth, what gets sacrificed, the casualty then, is truth. The casualty is truth. What we tend to think of ourselves as is not... Uh, sinners that need a savior, but maybe mistakers that need some correction. We make mistakes, and everyone makes mistakes, and we need some correction, but we, don't cer we certainly don't see ourselves as sinners who need a savior. But the truth is, that gets sacrificed, is we don't need a second chance, we need a second birth. And so, a lot of times you get the either-or where God has put a both and. Truth and grace. But it is difficult for us to hold these two in tension a lot of times. What does that look like? I, I want us to turn to another passage in John to just get a picture of what that might look like. If you still got your Bibles open, flip over a couple pages to John chapter 8. We're going to bring in a story an account in Jesus' life that perhaps gives the best example, one of the best examples of grace and truth being present and active, uh, and Jesus an example of it. John chapter 8, and every read verses uh, 1 through 11 there. And this is what it says. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came to the temple all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, okay, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the scribes and the Pharisees are religious leaders in Jesus' day that were, we would say, let's say they were heavy on the truth side, light on the grace side, okay? So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Grace and truth. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus was writing on the ground? That's definitely going to be one of my questions when I get to heaven. I want to know what Jesus was writing on the ground in that moment, right? There's like very few places in scripture where you actually have God physically writing. You have the Ten Commandments as one, and like this is one of the only other places. And I'd love to know what Jesus was writing on the ground there. Speculation only, but my guess, uh, speculation This is in parentheses, not Holy Scripture. I wonder if he was writing down just some sins. I wonder if he wrote down gluttony, greed, lust, just these things, slander, lying. And then he says, whoever is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all walk away. And the only one left is the only one that has no sin, who could cast a stone, but does not, does not condemn, but offers grace and truth. Neither do I condemn you, grace, go and sin no more, truth. A perfect balance of both grace And truth is what Jesus offers to this woman. He doesn't gloss over her sin, doesn't argue with the religious leaders that no, she's not a sinner. They both agree on that. When he sends her away, he doesn't say, oh, it's a mistake, everybody made a mistake, don't worry about it. He says, go and sin no more, that's truth. But neither do I condemn you. That's grace. And the truth is, we all need grace and truth. We all need to give it. And a lot of times, when we come to this passage, here's a lot of times what happens. Uh, And even as I've preached this passage in the past, and and sometimes when we come to John chapter 8, here's what happens. We separate the room into grace people and truth people. And I can have you raise your hand because you know who you are right now. You're sitting here and you know, you say, yeah, I'm a truth person. I don't like to admit it. I'm not going to call myself a Pharisee or religious leader. But if I err on one side or the other, you would say, I err on the truth side. I will let someone know where they're wrong. I will clearly point it out. I will make sure that, and I'm a truth person. And I read this passage and you might be saying, yeah, pastor, you know, I know I hear it. I need to be more of a grace person. 
And then I could ask you, and some of you would raise your hand and say, I'm a grace person. I love the neither do I condemn you stuff. I, I just welcome people in and, and, and it's no problem. You know, come on in. I'm, you're not condemned. Jesus loves you. You know, it, don't worry about it. And I am a grace person. But you might hear this passage, and a lot of times what happens when we hear this passage is you say, ah, but I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I, I, I need to be a truth person too. I, I love saying that neither do I condemn you. But even though it's hard, I also need to say the go and sin no more. And, and some of you are on this side saying, I love to say the go and sin no more. But I have to admit that I also need to say Neither do I condemn you. John chapter 3, you know, uh, verse 16 is a popular verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. John chapter 3, verse 17 says he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Grace and truth. So a lot of times we come to a passage like this and we say, okay, all right, pastor, you got me. I'm truth, I need to be more grace. I'm grace, I need to be more truth. Let me tell you, that's not this morning's message. I don't care if you're a truth person or a grace person. That's not this morning's message. That's not what John chapter one is saying. The question for you this morning is, who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? Some of you say, well, maybe I'm more like Jesus, a grace, I'm more like the Pharisees, truth. No, 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 you're not. And neither am I. You're the woman. And so am I. And that's the point of the story. That we are not to read this story and to read John chapter 1 about Jesus came in grace and truth and see ourselves as grace people or truth people. The truth is we are people in need of grace and truth from God. That I am the woman who has been condemned. I am guilty as charged. I have sinned. I have sinned against God's moral law. I have broken it. I am condemned. I'm judged. I'm deserving of any consequence that he would choose to give me. And I am in need of him to say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's where you and I are in the story. And so the question for you and I this morning is this. What do you not, what do you need to give to other people? I don't want you to, this, this morning, consider, do you need to give more grace or give more truth? What I want you to consider this morning is this. What do you need to hear from God this morning? What do you need to hear from God this morning? Maybe you're in here and you need to hear from God about grace. You need to hear the neither do I condemn you. You're in here and you know what you've done. You know the life you've lived. You know you're guilty as charged. That if we were to uh, put on this screen you're weak and the things you thought and the things you did that you would say, I am guilty, I am, uh, I'm convicted and I am completely deserving of whatever God would choose to do or give me. That this morning, that you need to hear and what you need to know is there is a God who is a God of grace, not just a God of truth. That he says, neither do I condemn you.
God of grace. I was uh, reading a story this week uh, from Pastor Matt Chandler in his book, The Explicit, he wrote in his book, The Explicit Gospel. And he tells a story about a friend of his, Kim, who didn't know Jesus and he wanted her to know Jesus. So he, Matt, and some of his friends invited her to a gospel concert, a Christian concert. And they were hoping that Kim would hear the gospel and come to know Jesus that night. And uh, what happened was what Pastor Matt Chandler describes as a train wreck when the pastor, uh, the, the preacher, came out in the concert to share. Came out and gave this talk or lecture on STDs and staying pure and, and a lot of you don't want syphilis, do you talk and things like that. And, and his big illustration was this. He took out a single rose flower that person who was talking. And it was a beautiful flower, beautiful rose. And he started talking about the rose. And he, and he said how beautiful it is. And then he smelled it. And, he, and, he, and he, he was touching the petals and how perfect and beautiful it was. And then he threw the rose out into the audience. And he told the audience to, to, to smell it, to, to touch it, to feel it. To, and, they, and they did. And then at the end of his talk, he said, I want the rose back. And he took the rose back and, and he held up this rose, which of course has been passed from hundreds of people at this point and does not look like it did at the beginning. And the petals are falling off and it's wilted and it's fallen over. And here was his big point. He said, who would want this rose now? Don't be a dirty rose. Because God, God wouldn't want that, so don't be a dirty rose. Who would want this? Because nobody will want it. And that was his message. That was the end of it. And Matt uh, left, and uh, Kim didn't come to Jesus that night. And, uh, but a few weeks later, uh, Pastor Matt got a call from Kim's mom that said Kim was in an accident. And would Matt go visit her in the hospital? And, and so he said, sure, he'd go visit her. So he went and visited her. And they're talking, and out of the blue, she says to Pastor Matt, she says, do you think I'm a dirty rose? And he, in that moment, had the opportunity to unpack the full weight of the gospel and the grace of God and say to her, God wants the rose. God, well, who, you know, he, the, the preacher, the problem was in his all truth and no grace, he stopped short of the punchline. He stopped short of the line that God wants the rose. That all of us are a dirty rose that's been tainted by sin, that has been messed up by the things of this world, and the God of grace wants you. And the God of grace sent his son to die for you. And so maybe you're here today, and what you need to hear from God is he is a God of grace, and he loves you. And he forgives you and he wants you. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you, you just walk in this room each Sunday or you walk into church and you feel like, hey, everything's great. I'm God, I'm, God's good. I'm good with God. I live my life the way I want and, and, uh, and God's good with me because I believe he exists and I believe he's God and we're good and, uh, and there's no need to correct in my life, no need to change my life. And you need to hear from God today that he's also a God of truth. 
that he is a God of grace and truth. That we are not mistakers who need correction. We're sinners who need a savior. Think of it as a parent with a child. When a parent is parenting a child, especially a small child, if that child were to spill a glass of milk, what would you say? You'd say something like, oh, don't worry about it, sweetie. Everybody makes mistakes. Oh, don't worry about it. Hon, everybody makes mistakes, and you, get a, and you get a bunch of paper towels, and you clean up the milk, and you go along your way and go have your day. But if that same child were to intentionally and with purpose and with malicious thought go and strike somebody or go and steal something for somebody, do you at that time handle it the same way and say, oh, don't worry, sweetie, everybody makes mistakes? Of course not. No, in that moment, there needs to be an apology. There needs to be an understanding and acceptance of wrong. There needs to be restitution. There needs to be consequences for the action. You wouldn't handle it the same way. There would be a difference there. So why is it what we know is true of everybody and of people that somehow, sometimes, we can come to God and feel like God's okay with it? Why is it that the thing that we know any average parent would do, that somehow we come to God and think, well, he's fine with me transgressing his laws or not living the way he's told me to live. God's good with it because he's graceful. God is graceful, but he's also truthful. He's a God of grace and truth. And so maybe you're here today and you need to hear, you need to remember that God is a God of truth and there is a true, there is a true aspect of you and I that we are without God, without hope in our sin. And so we need to come and understand, God, I need you. I need to turn from my way to live for you because you've been so gracious to me. God is a God of grace and truth. And my question for you this morning is, what is it that you need to hear from him today? Do you need to hear? Neither do I condemn you. Maybe you need to hear, go and sin no more. But both of those are God. As our music team comes back, let me close with one last story. And perhaps the... um, Perhaps, uh, I've shared this story before and some of you are familiar with it, but there's just no better story in literature of grace and truth than that told by Victor Hugo in Les Miserables. Victor Hugo in Les Miserables, the author, opens uh, in a scene with um, this vagabond curled up on a stone bench in a desolate French street. And he's trying to get money and he's trying to get, you know, help from people around him and he can't get it until some, a passerby eventually points to a place where he can find refuge. And he goes to the door and knocks and the homeowner is the town's bishop. And he's startled by the late night visitation but attentively listens to his story. The vagabond's name is Jean Valjean. And he reveals that he's recently been released, convict, The authorities have deemed him as dangerous, and even so, the bishop welcomes him into his home. And they have dinner. And at dinner, Jean Valjean notices the beautiful silver that they use to eat dinner with. 
And so later that night when the bishop's asleep, Jean Valjean double crosses him and he comes down and he starts stealing the silver. And the bishop wakes up when he hears the clanging of silver and comes down and asks Jean Valjean, what are you doing? And he's, then Jean Valjean punches the bishop, knocks him out unconscious and leaves. The next morning, the household help and servant is amazed and is flabbergasted that the silver has been stolen. What are we going to do? And the bishop says, we'll use wooden, wooden spoons and for It's no big deal. And then later that morning, there's a knock at the door and the authorities come and they have a bag of silver and Jean Valjean in custody. And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, I'm very upset at you. I'm angry with you. And turning to the authorities, he asks, didn't he tell you he was our guest? Oh yes, replied the chief authority. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed that you gave it to him. Stooping in shame, Valjean expects the bishop to pronounce a sentence on him and awaits it. Yes, of course I gave him the silverware, the bishop says. Then looking intently at Valjean, he asks, But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish of you. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? And he tells the servant to go get them. And he gets the candlesticks and he shoves them in Jean Valjean's bag. And the authorities don't know what to do. And so they said he was telling the truth. And the bishop says, of course. And they left. Once the authorities leave, the bishop drops the heavy bag of silver at Jean Valjean's feet after peeling away his hood and cloak. He says, don't forget, don't ever forget, you've promised to become a new man. Valjean, trembling, makes the promise and asks, why are you doing this? And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. Now I give you back to God. There's a lot of depictions of grace and truth in our world, but perhaps no better than this is Jesus' words depicted of, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. You and I need both from God, not one or the other. And this morning, God is here to speak with you. And maybe you're here today and you just need to receive that grace from God. You need to know that God wants the rose. That Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. That he knows what you've done. He knows what you've thought. And when you come to him, and you repent and you ask his forgiveness, he gives it to you. His grace covers you. He offers it to you. If we were mistakers in need of correction, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But we are sinners in need of a savior. And so Jesus came to give his life for you, that you might have forgiveness. 
I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to, for the next few moments, respond to God's word today. And I've left some little bit of time here because I want us not to rush this, but have some time to respond. We'll have some elders at the front to pray for you. If you want someone to pray with you, and maybe you have in your life, you've got something that you want someone to pray with you about. It could be a need that you have. You come into the room, but maybe you just need to respond to this message and you need someone to pray with you. You need someone to say to you as Jesus does that the words of Jesus to you are neither do I condemn you. They will pray for you. They will pray with you. But also, you can come and pray at these altars and we'll pray for you. If you want to come and stand or kneel at these altars, maybe you'll come and you say, God, I need to embrace this grace that you offer to me. Or God, I need... I have a greater understanding that there is a truth that I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven by you. Today, would I not only understand that truth, but receive your full grace? Because that's the truth of it all. That it's not one or the other, it's both. It's easy to create an all-truth church model. It may be even easier to create an all-grace model, but Jesus didn't leave either option on the table. According to the text, you cannot have all truth without grace and you can't have grace without truth. We say this isn't fair, but God forgiving is not fair. There's nothing fair about the gospel. You don't want fair. You want grace. There's a tension in a full dose of truth and a full dose of grace. This is where it gets messy. But it's a tension to be held, not a problem to be solved. It's not either or, because you can get rid of the mess, but the moment you do, you get rid of the gospel. And this morning, the truth is you cannot live what you have not received. So if you are going to live as a person of truth and grace, then you also need to receive that from God. And so as we sing this song, Reckless Love, would you understand that reckless love that God has for you? Father, would you be with us now as we respond to your word? Speak to us. Guide us. Lord, we come and we fall upon your grace. We need you, God, because we are condemned. God, we have transgressed your law. and We are sinners in need of a Savior. So guide us today. In Jesus' name we pray.